Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. Sandy Brondello is an Australian basketball legend, someone I've admired for a really long time. First as a player and now as a coach, Sandy has accomplished about as much as he can as a basketballer. From humble beginnings playing on a court mowed into her sugarcane farm in remote North Queensland to Olympic and WNBA stardom, she's been a trailblazer for generations of players from all walks of life. As she tells me in this episode, she's had to juggle the intense demands of motherhood with those expected on an elite sporting level. She returned to work just eight days after giving birth, as an example. She doesn't shy away from the controversies that have consumed Australian basketball. And if you're wondering, yes, she does give a surprisingly definitive answer on the question of whether Liz Cambage will ever play for the Opals again. She also goes into detail about Lauren Jackson's highly anticipated return to basketball and pleads her case for her former player, WNBA star Brittany Griner, to be released from a Russian prison. As for Sandy herself, well, this incredible life began as a shy little girl growing up as a sugarcane farmer's daughter outside of Mackay. What was a little Sandy Brondello like growing up? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I suppose when I was a young girl, I was quite shy, <laughs> um, but a bit of a tomboy and growing up in the country, a sugarcane farmer's uh, daughter and just really carefree, but, uh, yeah, really good athlete. You know, I got into sport at such a young age and that was track and field in the beginning and had pretty good success at that. And obviously basketball, once I started that, that was obviously one of my main loves. Let's go back to the sugarcane farmer's daughter. It was in Mackay, wasn't it, where you where you grew up? What was that upbringing like? Yeah, outside Mackay. It was great, it really was. I went to a, an elementary school of 50 kids and, and it was just small and I suppose that's uh, why, you know, it was just our little community and, you know, our, our family and friends and uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, we had motorbikes, uh, we swam in the creek, um, just, you know, it was very outdoorsy because uh, riding our bikes and, and building things out outdoors and it was just real, a, a lot of fun to be quite honest. So what piqued your interest in basketball? The way I got into the game was my sister was playing um, with a group of friends and uh, they weren't very good but um, we did, my mum and I would go and watch her and there was a, a new country team that was starting midgets basketball um, and they were shorter players and they had asked me to play and and really from the first time I played I just loved it and you know I was in track and field and like I said I, I was good at it but I didn't you know, it's a lot of pressure being a, an individual sport because the pressure w- was all on me. And I think I really talked to basketball because it was I was playing with my friends, and you know, it's it's just a game. You're just having fun and and running around, and and I just uh, you know, I was obviously I, I took a, a huge liking to that, and I was pretty good at it. So I enjoyed the winning and and all the losing um, with my teammates, and not just all being on me as an individual and with track and field. And your dad played a bit of a role in kind of accelerating your interest, and um, didn't he? In, in how he facilitated—I don't want to give it away—but how he yeah. was able to create facilities on your farm. Yeah, look, it, it was my mother couldn't drive, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, she couldn't drive, and uh, my dad, being a sugarcane farmer, is quite busy in the crushing. And you know, I didn't get. He, he tried to get me to, you know, if I had to go into the city and play with my um, A grade team, and that was based in Mackay. Um, you know, it, was, it wasn't always easy, but, 
you know, he decided to put a backboard on our tank stand, our water tank stand at the back, and, and it wasn't it's something that wasn't bored, it was made. So it was just, you know, pieces of wood put together, uh, painted it white, put the black square on and, and bought a rim, um, of course, and it was a grass court. And, um, and, and people say, like, that's I, I could work on not much – I wasn't a great, probably a great ball handler because it was too rocky and uneven, but I could catch and yeah. shoot and I had a really, uh, really lethal one-bounce jump shot. And But it just allowed me to go and practice at any time, go outside and, and work on that game. And I actually – I probably did most of my practice leading into tournaments. And, um, yeah, that's where I really – yeah, I my craft really went to another level and I had – uh, a young guy that lived close to us um, come and teach me the jump shot. And I think uh, people talk about that. That was one of, of the, they say, you used to shoot like a man. But obviously today it's just everyone can, you know, there's a lot of great yeah, yeah. shooters. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's so Bradman-esque, isn't it, that he like mowed a grass court in the cane field and then had a, a water tank just a made his own backboard for you. I think that's so just so Australian and Bradman-esque. I love it. It's really cool. So when did it get serious for you? When did basketball start stop becoming just a bit of a hobby and started becoming like a really stronger interest and um, and get serious? Yeah, look, I think it started, I, I started getting picked for the Mackay representative teams and, and we used to go and travel and I absolutely love that. Like it's just you know, it's just fun. You know, you play three games a day, you're hanging with your friends, you know. My mum would always travel with me because I was a bit of, I was pretty shy, so I always wanted her to be with me. Uh, I find that kind of hard to believe. Mama's girl. I know. people. My players don't believe that at all now, yeah. but I said that's, that's a part of the journey and, uh, you know, I was just quiet and reserved. But on the court, that was my haven, to be quite honest, because I turned into this different uh, player, very aggressive. But, um, yeah, I mean... Uh, you know, humble, humble beginnings here, but I, um, you know, just all, I think all the shooting and just allowed me that was a, a great skill. I was very athletic because of the track and field, and I was quite strong because I did work on the cane fields, like moving the, the you know, back in the day, it wasn't the big irrigation, it was you know, the pipes that you would have to move it from the drills, and so that kind of helped me get really strong and, and helped me in my, my athletic, athletic sporting life. Um, but uh, yeah, I suppose that you know made started making made the Queensland team in fourteen. So I, I those those tournaments just kind of really motivated me. And, and when I I had pretty good success and and it was like you know hey this is fun. And um, I was playing A grade in Mackay with you know grown women and that they really helped my development too. And I can remember at the age of uh, fifteen or sixteen just saying you know you know I'd love to play for Australia one day and and I think people you know at that time now it's not a big deal because we have so many great athletes from the country but you know uh, I, I didn't think people didn't probably didn't think it was a realistic uh, goal to have purely because of where I came from but um, a year later I was being invited to the Australian Institute of Sport and then one year later I made the Opals team for the first time and and you know I, was, I played in that for 17 years. I can't, that's incredible, incredible run, 17 years for the Ovals and now you're the Ovals coach. Um, was it a big move at the time? Like you said, you love travel, but coming from a Mackay farm outside of Mackay, being a shy girl and then at the age of 17 moving to the AIS, which you stayed at the AIS back then, right? Like it was like where you lived, your quarters. It's not quite the same now, but um, but that must have been a big move for a shy teenager from Mackay. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was, and, and the great story behind that is what I was invited the year before 
1986, and at that time they were living off campus. Um, it wasn't they didn't have residences at the AIS at that time. And um, look, it, I, I said, "Yeah, I'll go, I'll go." And and five minutes before I got the phone call, I just thought, "No, I can't leave. I'm just not ready no. to leave." So I just said, "No, look, I'm going to stay here and do my year 12 studies." Um, and uh, and then the following year, it was just it became easier for me because I made the Australian World Junior Team. And I, I had to fly to Melbourne, so I got to know some of the other players. And I'm someone that likes to feel comfortable around people. And it was a very easy transition that one year later. But, um, you know, I, you know, AOS, like that, I loved it because it really, you know, you went in there, you're like a semi-professional. I didn't train a lot, to believe it or not, back in Mackay because my mum my couldn't drive and um, I couldn't always get to the trainings. Um, but when I went to the AOS, it was kind of like, you know, I had all these goals and I just kind of blocked in and I had really great coaches and, um, yeah, I probably got a little tunnel vision, a little overtraining, but I wanted it, wanted to be the best I could, I could be that I put so much, you know, obviously time and effort into it and, and it paid off, but it was a great setting for me to be in. What kind of reputation did the Ovals have back then when you first started out, when you moved to the AIS? Yeah, that was the first time they ever got to go to play in, um, Olympic games, um, you know, so they, they were new. And, um, you know, we didn't really have a big reputation in the beginning and I made it in 1987. I know, like, you know, we couldn't get people to come to Australia so we had to travel overseas and a lot. we did a six-week tour of the USA and played all the college games. You know, we played college teams. Um, right. So that was just trying to get some more time together, get some playing experience and then, you know, to, for us to travel, it was always such a long way. And um, But 1988, it kind of really put us on the map um, you know, we, uh, the first time Russia's ever been beaten in an Olympic competition and we did that and, um, and we went really close to going into the gold medal game and lost on a, uh, a rebound uh, put back at the end of the game against Yuga, former Yugoslavia and uh, we ended up meeting Russia again in the bronze medal game and, and lost. Um, but you know, we finished fourth and I think, you know, that was the beginning for us um, but it was... It, uh, you know, it, it just put us on the right track and really motivated us to show that, you know, hey, we're pretty good. We're a pretty good country and let's keep building from there. But, you know, 1992, we failed to qualify for the Olympics. So that was a bit of bit of a setback yeah. for us. But, um, yeah, I think it motivated us and, and, you know, we just worked a little bit harder and we got really talented players and I think the you just went to the next level. It really was a golden era for the Opals that you were involved in, 17 years four Olympic Games, one bronze, two silver. You played 302 games for Australia, the third most capped player of all time for the Opals. What made that time, Michelle Timms, Lauren Jackson, Penny Taylor, yourself, Rachel Sward, like all, I could just go on and on of these iconic names for Australian basketball. What made those times so special? What made them so golden in that uh, golden yeah. era? Uh, so many things. I think... Um the success certainly helped, but I think, you know, we loved playing with each other and people talk about the camaraderie, the sisterhood. It really, to this very day, you know, once an opal, always an opal. And we loved that. Like some of my friends can remember scores and that. I remember medals, and but I, I remember moments <laughs> like and the friendships that you, you know, camaraderie you had at, at going to trying to compete and, and be the best team that you could be. But having that sisterhood that you got each other's back, it was just really, really special, to be quite honest. And it's something that, 
you know, obviously as Opal's coach now that, you know, I'm trying to, you know, that's what we're trying to continue the legacy. Um, but we had we had a lot a lot of great talented players. I mean, you you, you spoke a lot about them, but we found a way. Um, we're a very selfless team, and we just wanted to, um, you know we supported each other, and um, you know we got to the level that we could. You know, we're one of the best teams in the world for many many years. Talk to me about that being a selfless team. What did that mean in in that era during that time? Well, it meant a lot, and I think that's how we got the success. Um, you know, I think when Tom Ma took over um, in 1993 after we failed to qualify for the uh, Barcelona Olympics, and uh, the first thing he did was sit down and develop this culture about, you know, what kind of team, what, what kind of team do we need to be to be successful, and what is our, our identity, and, and everyone had a, a part of, you know, what that looks like. And, you know, we came up with some of these themes like, you know, persistence, you know, a, a we team and... Uh, this, you know, just relentless uh, a team and, uh, and the team in great shape and uh, great, you know, great, you know, um, defensive team. And so that's what we lived and breathed. It, it wasn't just when we were together. We did that when we were apart too. And we just had this strong connection and, and belief, belief in um, each other that, uh, you know, we were one of the best teams, but not a, a cockiness. We worked really, really hard. And I think, you know, those days we just competed, um, you know, at a at a really high level and we did it together at all times. When you competed and when you trained, did you also have to work? What was that, what was the structure like back then in, in those days for being a professional basketball player in Australia? A lot of players did work, not all players. Um, I was probably an exception. I, when I went to the AIS, I was studying. Took me five years to do a three-year course, but I got it done. Um, and what was that course? Uh, I did a diploma in teaching, and so you know, went I studied and took you know, so just that you know, everyone we need. You always taught you need an education, which is so true. Uh, put a lot of time and effort into you know just practicing as well, and and did some part-time work there once I left the AIS and went to Sydney to play, and um, but then. You know, for me, I had the opportunity to go play overseas. So I kind of went, you know, early those days, you know, oh, I was a full-time professional, which I love because, you know, yeah. just that was all my focus. I, I put a lot of time and effort into being the best player that I could be and get all experiences all over the world. And, you know, not everyone wanted to go overseas but uh, and some players in Australia because there wasn't a lot of money in Australia to play. So I, I think one year I got paid. Um, so you really had to work and fit trainings around it um, and even at the at the, the highest level, uh, you know, playing for the Opals, you know, a lot of um, players had to work and, and maybe some part-time. But, you know, for me, I, I decided to go over to Europe and, and play in Europe and, and play WNBL and, and just focus on, you know, just basketball. And, um, you know, obviously it, it paid off because I did, uh, yeah, Pay 18 off, yeah. years later. <laughs> You're still going yeah. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, 17 years with with the Opals in particular. But um, if you're doing that, you know, you're working overseas, like you're playing overseas and you come back and play in Australia and then you've got like Australian commitments as well, you never really get a season off or a time off. Like how taxing was that on your body in an age where we didn't know as much about strength and conditioning and high performance and, and all of that? Yeah, no, that's so true. Um, I suppose I just was, I just loved the game. I mean, it was my passion. You know, uh, and I enjoyed playing all year round. It was fatiguing at times, and, and there'd be times during a season, like for a week or so, I'd just hit the wall. 
my body and, you know, couldn't take it. But the only time I really had time off in a, um, you know, was when I was injured and it was forced. I always say that's probably sometimes like, you know, I've got to look in the mirror and say, okay, I was, you know, injuries happen for a reason and I probably needed to slow down and, and rebuild it up. But, look, I wouldn't change a thing and I think, um, you know, they're just all part of the experience, all part of the journey that, you know, is, I, I loved I loved being a professional basketball player and it wasn't about being better than um, anyone. It was about being the best player that I could be and, and helping my team to be as successful as possible. Out of all those Opals years I've heard you talk about, and it's no doubt, um, correct me if I'm wrong, the highlight being the 2000 Sydney Olympics. I mean, it, you have to be at the right time, the right place. All those stars have to align for a home Olympics to be when you're at your peak of your sporting career. You know, it's so rare that you get that to happen. For you girls, what was that like? Take me back there to 2000 in Sydney and then going all the way to the gold medal game. Really, just just amazing. And and you always talk about there's nothing better than playing in front of your home fans. Uh, but, you know, for me that was a big part of it. But just having my family in the stands too, like, you know, my mum and dad, my mum came to the Atlanta Olympics, but, you know, my, my siblings hadn't seen me play with, for the Opals unless it was in Australia. So, um, and, and it was really about, you know, putting the Opals on the map a little bit more because we, we were doing, you know, we we're having pretty good success starting at the World Cup in 1994. You know, we finished fourth there and obviously 88, but we we weren't, you know, not many people knew us. And I think that kind of, you know, when you can have success on home soil and the media gets behind it a little bit more and uh, the sport gets a little bit more recognition. It's not about the, you know, yeah, of great. I think more players need household became household names, and but it was more just getting more support behind, you know, women's basketball and women's sport. And um, it, it was, you know, there's nothing better than Olympic games, and, and playing on home soil was great. But obviously, winning, you know, getting to the gold medal game was a, was a, a great highlight. Obviously, we didn't win that, but um, just to be there and the atmosphere was fantastic and. Um, you know, to have a silver medal at the end of it was pretty special. Because you guys, you had success prior to that and you were travelling all over the world, but was that recognition just not there for the Opals and for professional women's basketball players? Yeah, probably not. I think Lauren Jackson helped propel it. Um, I mean, she was just a, uh, just this freak of nature. She's 16 years of age. She's playing with us for the, for the Opals at the World Cup um, in Germany in 1998. And it was just more like, oh, my gosh, this this girl is a superstar. And then 18 and what she was able to do, you know, um, you know, lead us to that uh, silver medal. And, you know, it's a team effort, but she's a really special player. And um, to have the confidence and, and obviously she has the game, but to go out there and compete against the, you know, the very best players in, in the world at, at such a young age, it just showed a lot about her toughness. And I know she speaks about it like she would be, she had a lot of fear, but when you got on the court, it was just, you know, it's just, wow, okay, that's pretty, pretty impressive. But look, I think, I still think we're making strides. I, I still don't think the Opals get the recognition that they deserve. It's more, and the players, you know, we've got some really great players and I think we focus more on one or two. And um, But, the, you know, there's so many wonderful stories there and, and really special players and, you know, having another World Cup coming up at the end of the year and Sydney, you know, hopefully, number one, we can have great success. But, uh, you know, the... Um, everyone can get behind us and we get to know a little bit more about the, the individuals that, uh, that will play for the Opals and not just as basketball players because they're, they're way more than that. 
picking up on that point, you and I chatted for an article back in 2014 that I was writing for um, my business and my website, Sportet, um, on your success and about the progress of, of women's basketball in Australia. And at the time, you said to me, I, I said, you know, do you think, how do you feel about the progress of the WNBL since you were playing um, to how it is now? And you said in 2014, I still think it's the same as when I played. We're on TV once a week and you got a little bit of coverage, but I don't think it's improved in that regard. So is, I'm interested really to find out how you feel now, picking up on, on what you said. Has it progressed as quickly as you had hoped? Has it progressed fast enough since 2014, since we last no, spoke? No, I, I think we have a really great product. But, uh, you know, I think we have more visibility now. You know, it's more than one game a week, but, uh, you know, the WNBL now. But it's such there's so many Opals that play there and it's a really, really strong league. But I think every league... Uh, around the world can say that you know the WNBA you know we've got we've got a lot of visibility but you know um, you know we still think we could do more and and I think that's part of it it's just being a women's sport just getting the the due recognition that they deserve because in the end it, it really is um, it's basketball it's not men's basketball it's not women's basketball it's just basketball and we both you know, we, we both have very similar skills. We all can shoot. Now, the difference between is obviously there's more dunking in the men, um, you know. Uh, so and that's the difference. But I, I think we're, we're making progress. But, you know, I, I suppose for me, I just think there should be more because um, the players deserve to be more. But I think there's way more professionalism in the clubs. Uh, they take care of their players way more. And and hopefully that will continue to grow so that we have that conversation in another 10 years and, and you know, we're, we're at a, 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 a higher level in, you know, getting more people to attend the games and, and, and just the way the progression that the, um, you know, the NBL's taken off and I think that's what we're capable of too because it's really entertaining basketball and, you know, hopefully it can continue to grow. But that takes uh, corporate sponsors and, and if we can get that, I think that will help us. Going back to your story, just before the Olympics, you made a really big move to the WNBA. That was a year after it was founded in 1997. What were your memories of those early days of the WNBA? Oh, I, I just loved it. You know, I, for me, I just <laughs> wanted to play in the best league and compete against the best players. And I, you know, it was Michelle Timms was the first player to play in it in 1997. I can remember visiting her in Phoenix and was just blown away by the support and, you know, walking down the street and everyone's, you know, some play, some people were looking like Timsy with the little, you know, the the, the peroxide blonde hair, hair. And, and they just <laughs> they just loved her. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just ridiculous. You're like a star <laughs> here, and not enough people knew that in Australia. And she had a big following in Australia because she's a really amazing player. But um, over there, I was just blown away. And um, the following year, you know, I, I, you know, everyone knew Timsy because I and, and we won the bronze medal at '96 Olympics and. But from there, the following year, you know, I was a fourth-round pick because um, I don't think a lot of it, you know, a lot of teams, Americans didn't know about all about the Australians. Sure. And But that year we had so many players come in and I was a fourth-round pick and went into a team and I started and, you know, I had a pretty good successful year. And, and I just, I suppose you talked about it, I played all year round, but I just enjoyed it because it was more just another opportunity for me to get better and um, a enjoy a different obviously culture and, and, you know, different league and, um, 
yeah, just like I said, I've, I'm still in the WNBA, so I, I, I do. Yeah, yeah, I, I do love <laughs> the it. The fourth round pick is still yeah, there, yeah, some yeah. 26 years later. Yeah. Wow. Tell me, there must have been quite a bit of hype, right? Because there's this new competition that's in the US. They had a women's competition before, but this was different. This had the NBA backing, had the NBA logo, had everything. Was in the lead up, was there so much hype around this new competition that was starting in the US? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's why we had so many people come to the games in the beginning and uh, you know, obviously Phoenix were packed out, you know, LA, the you know, Houston Comets and uh, New York, you know, going to Madison Square Garden and, you know, just getting support and women's, you know, NBA, when you're backed by the NBA, that's a pretty big uh, organisation and you have that support and, um, yeah, no, it's exciting. And it was exciting to see, you know, just to see the league grow, you know, being in it 26 a year now, just to see it grow from year to year. And, you know, obviously we're not, you know, we always want to be bigger and better, and, and but we're making steps. We're still nowhere near where we need to be and that's why I say the WNBL is still... Um, still progressing because you always you don't want to compare yourself to the uh, NBL, but it's more about just getting better, you know, conditions for for the the league because it is the best league in the world, and um, it, it's just obviously it, it's and it's fun and it's so competitive. And what I like about it is like, you know, this every team is different and it's just a new uh, challenge that you have day in day out. 26 years you've been involved, all but one of the WNBA. During that time, was there a moment when you noticed the biggest shift, when attitudes and interests and attention started to change? And why was that? I mean, that's a, that's a great... Look, I think the league gets better and better every year. The, the level of talent that comes in um, is amazing. And it's, it, we've gotten to the stage that we don't have enough teams like really, some really good players, it's hard to make those teams. But I think now, obviously, we've built it up in such a great situation that, um, you know, social media media helps in that. But we're getting more eyes on our product. And we always say, just come to one game. Just come to one game and, and you'll fall in love with it. And, you know, we're not going to get the crowds like we do in the NBA, but hopefully that we continue to grow to get there because I think the product um, – yeah, it's pretty amazing with the end. But the players are the big difference too now. We're in a position that the players are promoted way more. So I think more individuals, you know, everyone knows, you know, who Diana Taurasi is and, you know, Asia Wilson. I mean, these big-time players in the league. And that's what it's about. It's like um, highlighting these amazing athletes but amazing people because, like I talked about, you know, they have a voice off the court. They're not just basketball players and that's what makes them really special and, you know, I think another thing, the NBA um, guys really get behind our league and I, I think that certainly helps because, you know, everyone, you know, some big-time players, when, when they're out tweeting or saying things about the game, I mean, that's, uh, that increases the interest in, you know, the women's game as well. Was that always the case or did you notice a time when that started to happen more? I think it started to happen more once, you know, um, social media comes out. That's a way to get the message across as well. And... You know, we they had they supported us in the beginning, but there wasn't you know they'd be coming to games and stuff like that. But I th I just think it's grown now because every game you go to, there's always uh, a, an NBA player usually visiting and, and watching the game, and 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 that's that's good. And but look, for us, it's more like we we think we have a pretty um, special league and really wonderful players. But now you know every day you're getting you know anyone can watch it all around the world. Let's talk about your coaching because you went straight from playing to coaching. 
Um, what was the biggest challenge for you in that transition? <laughs> you know, it really wasn't a really big challenge because I had achieved everything as a player and I was ready to retire and my body was breaking down. And I, in the last few years, I'm, you know, my partner was, uh, you know, my husband now is uh, a coach. So I kind of got to experience the behind the scenes and I had a mentor to lead me into to the next phase of my life. And, and um, you know, I was just lucky and very grateful. To, uh, as soon as I retired, I was I wanted to coach. I knew I wanted to coach um, in the league. And it's always, we always say it's, it's hard to, once you're in, you're in, but it's hard to get in. Um, but I was lucky enough to, to come in as an assistant coach with the San Antonio Silver Stars. So Dan Hughes, he was, a, he, you know, had coached in the league for a, a long time. I'd never really spoken to him. Um, that he liked the way I played and, and we developed a relationship and he gave me a job and the rest is history. And, you know, I just, you know, I suppose I put the same amount of hard work into being a player. Um, I did into my coaching. Um, it's a little bit more longer days, a little bit more preparation, but it's some that I just love because it allowed me, this is my passion, it allowed me to do what I love and, um, you know, how many years later? I mean, well, I mean, 18 plus years later, I'm, I'm you know, just still there. I'm still still the top of the game. Still here. Yes, yeah. still here. So, um, and, and but yeah, just love the challenge. So, what elements do you have to have from being a, a player to being a good coach? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, look, I think some you, you have to learn patience. You know, I think I, I think for me, what like has been crossed against my yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had to learn that as a player. But I always find, I always say, like, you know, I was ready to retire because, you know, a lot of athletes, it's just finding that right time to retire. Like, for me, yeah. like, I had, uh, you know, I felt like I had achieved everything I wanted to and I had pushed my body to the to max that I was, you know, I was, you know, and it's like thinking about having children, not to say I couldn't have had it, but I, I waited and, and then, but like wanted to stay into the game. So it was like well, it was a different back then too. You didn't think you could. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At the same time, really. To come yeah. back. But I think, I think for me, it was more um, just becoming a student of the game. But I think I had a really positive, um, you know, I'm a positive person in, in that regard. So I, I actually, I enjoy helping someone be the best that they could be. You know, by you know, by helping them and, and helping them grow, and through my own experiences, because I had, you know, we all, we've had, I had so many experiences that I could share, and just helping in someone else's journey, I think that kind of helped. Um, I knew the game, I studied the game, I knew the game. I think my my basketball IQ was very strong there, and you know, I knew the players, and you know, you know, I put a lot of time and effort into just the scouting, and you know, I enjoyed that. So I liked trying to make the game simple for the the opponents and, um, you know, just being a former player. So I think that certainly helped. But, like, I still, you know, there was still a lot to learn, you know. Then it was about finding your way um, to articulate what you wanted from the players. And I think that's something that you grow um, more and more from and I think with more experience. And, and that's just like as a player, the more experience you get, the better you become. And, you know, I think that's so true in coaching as well too. And, you know, I was just put in – a really great situation. I could learn from a lot of experienced coaches, and I took. And when I got my opportunity to be a head coach, it was more about it was being who I wasn't trying to be anyone else, but being me. But like taking some things from all the coaches that I had, because I had some great coaches throughout my career. And talking about your first head coaching gig, it was with the Silver Stars in 2010. So you've been a 
assistant with your husband for five years and then Dan Hughes was moving on and to a general, he was general manager as well. And then he asked, yep. is that right, your husband and you, who you both thought should take on the head coaching role and both of you said you, like essentially you're at the same level, but both of you thought you should take over that head coaching role, which I love and I love your husband for. I think that's <laughs> awesome. Your husband then became your assistant, Olaf. Is it true you gave birth to your second child in that first year of being a head coach and took just eight days off? Is that right? That, that is true. And that's oh. why I, sh- I love to share that story too because, you know, you have an opportunity to be a head coach and I've already got one, you know, uh, we already have one son and, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of work. and It's we, hard. Which I love. what it is. We, 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 yeah, hard. which I love. But I, I probably thought I was like, yeah, I can handle this, not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when I look back, it was probably the, 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 a wrong decision to do that as my first head coaching experience um, to take over take over a team that was kind of in a little bit of a rebuild, you know, and um, knowing that I was pregnant, I was going to have a baby and, you know, trying to do that with two kids and travelling. I look back and I, like it was a blur. I can't even remember the season. I was so tired, and and obviously we, it was only a one year contract, so I didn't get another one. And and uh, we made the playoffs, but it was more like okay, I couldn't give my best effort because I was just fatigued, oh, and no you know just trying to work it out. And you know, so I lo- I learned a lot about that. And I always say, just make sure you're going into the right situation. Uh, that's so critical, and that wasn't. Uh, the best for me, but it was a learning experience and, and, and I was very grateful to get it. And then, you know, I went back to being an assistant until the next job came along and that was a way better fit. <laughs> Would have been better as a mum as well, like to have <laughs> yes. that. I can't imagine yeah. what your mum guilt radar would have been. Mine goes off. I've got two little girls and mine goes off all the time. Um, even if I have a shower, I get guilty. But um, <laughs> but thank you for being so honest because, yeah. you know, I had to reread that like three times. I'm like eight days and her husband's her assistant, so it means he wasn't at home and they had two kids on the road doing all of that. I can't imagine what the pressure would have been like, but um, I'm so glad you didn't say, oh, it's fine, you can juggle anything. Yeah, no, um, it, wasn't, it, was, it was difficult. It was difficult and, and that's why I look back, you know, I probably shouldn't have took it on. I should have taken the year off um, and waited for that next opportunity and, you know, um, but I didn't. And But like I said, I still, you know, it all worked itself out. Your kids both have really grown up in basketball clubs haven't they? How have you found that between yourself and your husband who are always on the road? And I know in a way we're not meant to talk about how it's a juggle or anything, but I love talking about it, as I said, because I'm mum myself. I'm like, well, how do other people do it and what goes through their mindsets and, and everything? But, you know, having kids and high-pressure job and everything, like how do you keep centred? Yeah, look, to be quite honest, I think kids give you more balance, because now after a loss, you come home and you've got that distraction because, you know, you know, the wins, you know, that's fine, but your losses, I mean, you know, we're human, we take those hard, but I think you had someone else to worry about or, you know, the kids don't care if you win or lose and that was actually quite nice um, for me because it just gave me a little bit more balance because I know when I played, I didn't have, um, until I got older, the right balance, you know, it was all just basketball, you know, it was all about just basketball, but once I learned having some balance and not overtraining, I, I became a better basketball player. And um, you know, I think that with becoming a mother, it just gave me a little bit better perspective. It's not to say I hate, you know, I still 
couldn't sleep after after losses, but it, it allowed me a distraction. It's like you know, um, you know, all you can do is do your best and, and continue to learn from it. Um, but it, it's hard work, and I obviously I'm just very grateful I'm able to do. You know, I love being a mum, and that's my number one priority. But I, I also love being a, a coach, and I have a very supportive husband. And I think that helps, and it, it helps that we're actually we're we're in the same profession, and I think that really does help because. You know, without that support, it'd be really hard for, for me or, or us to do what we do. And our children had a unique and, and amazing um, childhood and just growing up around teams. And I think it's helped their maturity and they've got to experience different cultures all around the world. And, um, you know, they're with us now and traveling and, and their summer break. And it, it's just special because we get to share so many wonderful moments and some pretty tough moments together as well. That next head coach job was in 2014 and that was for the Phoenix Mercury where you were for eight years. That 2014 team, incredible team, Diana Tarasi, Penny Taylor, Brittany Griner, like your starting five was phenomenal. Uh, you, of course, won that championship in that first year, became WNBA coach of the year. You know, as um, a mum of two kids, your youngest then being four, like what did that do to you? And being like your first, you know, your only second year as a head coach, what did that do to you the time to have that kind of year? And what was it What was it like in 2014? Yeah, well, it couldn't go any better than what it did, <laughs> uh, you know, to have, to break the record, like the, the best record ever in, in a, a WNBA season. But look, I, I stepped into a team. They had a tough year the year before and our opportunity presented myself. I had coached Diana Trassi overseas um, in Russia as an assistant. My Olaf was the head coach there and, you know, I was friends with Penny Taylor and, you know, just in a situation they knew what I was about, what I could bring to the team. But it, for me, it, it just, you know, as I always say, if I come in with a plan and the best players buy in and that kind of helped and they were very selfless. I had five players in double figures and really great players and, you know, they wanted to win and made my job, you know, way easier. And um, I suppose in the end as a, as a coach and being my second opportunity, I had a little bit more experience by going overseas a little bit more and, um, you know, coaching all year round and it, you just learn from every, any experience that you have and, you know, I kind of shaped, you know, how I want to run things and, you know, what kind of system. I was more clear on, on what I thought a, a really good team would look like but but not, but not being adaptable, adaptable to the players that I had, like I'm really big on that and, and try and put them in the best situations they can and develop a culture. So I really got, you know, from the Opals, it's like, you know, we, we need this culture because, it's not what you know what you do on the courts what you do off the court what your identity is going to be and and you know the kind of players we want to bring in and I suppose in the end it, it just gave me a lot of confidence like you know you know I'm you know I'm doing okay here but it didn't give me um, a big head or anything because it's every year is a challenge and I've had some highs and lows and um, but I don't see them as lows I see them as great learning experiences to help me to become a, you know a better coach and um, and that's to this very day and, and, you know, I still want to get the best out of the players and I try and, um, you know, I think I still am a real positive coach and, and, and want to be, you know, help them to be the best that they can be. And But, yeah, it's nothing better than winning and um, <laughs> I'm still chasing a few more championships. I got close for a, a few other times with the, the Phoenix team but, um, you know, it's hard to win but uh, I, I'm still highly motivated and hopefully I'll get another one. 
I want to talk about Brittany Griner and the situation she's in a little later because I think it's really important that we talk about that and more people know about the situation she's in. But um, I just want to ask you, because when you coached her, she was just uh, like an exceptional talent and something really different to what we'd seen in the competition before. Yeah, she was. I mean, it was her second year when I took her over and I know um, in the beginning, and I'll credit Olaf a lot, she was very raw um, in her her um, offensive skill set because she's so big. She's six foot eight, and but she was kind of raw. When you go to the next level, now you're playing playing against the very best players. They're not college players, um, but you saw the the potential that she did have. And he worked a lot on her footwork because you know she had no moves. But now you know she became the premier post player in the league just with the footwork that she has and, and how dynamic she was. Um, you know she's one of my favourite players of all time, and um, it was. You know, she could dunk it and, you know, that's great when and players can dunk it and, and get the get the fans into it. But, you know, it's she she really, really is a, an amazing person and obviously my heart breaks with what she hasn't having to go through at the moment. Well, we'll tease that because I want to talk to that um, a little bit later. As I said, it's, it breaks my heart as well and I think it's really important. Um, let's talk about you becoming the Opals coach because we're at 2014, 2017, you became Opals coach. One year later, you're winning the Commonwealth Games gold medal, uh, on home soil, followed by a silver at the world champs. You were building really nicely to the Tokyo Games, which were meant to be in 2020, but then of course we're in 2021. You're ranked second or third in the world, um, correct me if I'm wrong, at the time, what kind of hopes did you have for the Opals heading into the Tokyo Games? Well, <laughs> better hopes than what we actually did in the Tokyo Games, to be quite honest. Um, look, I suppose everyone knows the story. It was it's really, you know, just, I mean, just really tough situation. And I think COVID really was very disruptive. We couldn't really prepare. We had one game in 18 months together. And um, it, it's really hard as a coach to not have contact with your players and, and ex- go through the learning curves why that all those practice games so but I think the, the rest of the world's just gotten so much better that you know if you don't if you know failing to prepare is you know preparing to fail exactly yeah. so it's um it just wasn't ideal but we had a really disruptive preparation and just you know just a lack of time together and um and you know it, it just showed and, and I know we we know obviously Liz wasn't with us and that was a big player that was taken out but also Steph Talbot wasn't She's a very key player for us and she was injured and it was just really unfortunate. And I think by the players in Australia having not played a lot of games, they had six months with, you know, uh, after WNBL before the Olympics, it, it doesn't help. You, you you lose your rhythm and you lose your, your ability, you know, those just to feel the game a little bit and, um, and just not having any preparation. So it, it really was tough. I mean... It's good that I'm actually not, uh, you know, it's probably one of the first times I haven't uh, broke down, but, you know, it, it meant, you know, we, we all felt it and we were very disappointed and, and that we weren't able to fulfil, you know, our goal and the expectations that we put on ourselves. It's not just what the public is, but we know, you know, it, it's hard to win and, and you know, we just we, we, we just didn't have enough preparation to be the best team that we could be. And, and so a great learning curve Um you know, for myself and for the players as well and, and something that, you know, hopefully we can change come World Cup but we still know it's a, you know, it's it's hard to win and everything has to go right for us and, and we're trying to make sure that we, we we do everything we can to have the best preparation um, that we, you know, we'll be a better team come uh, this, this major tournament. There was a lot of speculation about that 
pre the warm-up games in Las Vegas and in particular um, the game that led to Liz Cambage leaving the squad and, and pulling out of the Olympics a week before Tokyo. Um, there's been so much speculation about what actually went on in that Nigerian game. Can you give us a little bit of insight or tell us as much as you can or willing to about what just the, in a way there's so much speculation and it does my head in just going well what actually happened are the media reports correct uh, you know what were the events that led up to Liz leaving that squad after that match yeah look I probably can't go into a, a lot of details there it was really just unfortunate like Liz hadn't been with us a lot and you know you're trying to integrate your best player and I, I do know that we totally supported her as much as we can and um you know, and, and I wish there's things that I could have done better. I probably should have not played her after, you know, she didn't start, you know, but we had no time to prepare and she was only training every second day. So it was just hard in that situation and, you know, it just got out of hand, to be quite honest. And, you know, uh, you know I wish it hadn't have, um, but, you know, it did. And, um, you know, it was just a, a terrible situation to be a part of and it was a terrible situation leading into a major tournament because it did rattle us. It wasn't ideal for us. Um, and, you know, we did come out. We had a scrimmage a few days later and we beat the USA, but that was, you know, I suppose it gave a little a bit of false hope because it was just one game and, you know, we, we needed to, to, you know, continue to learn and grow and um but, you know, it's unfortunate. So I, my plan now is just we, we look forward. I mean, no, Liz is no longer a part of the Opals and just I'm really excited about the team that we do have together and it's really – they make my job and the coach's job really hard to pick that final um, roster and, you know, as we're nearing in a, another World Cup. And so we're just trying to focus, you know, um, just rebuilding that culture a little bit and, and making sure that, uh, you know, we're, we're thoroughly prepared come September. Have you talked to Liz? since what happened at Las Vegas? No. No. Will Liz ever play? There's a lot of talks that she'll never play for the Opals again. Is that the case? Um, yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I, if I'm the coach. She won't play? No. No. It's time to look forward. I don't think Liz wants to play. I think she's made that evident here. And But, you know, we need to... You know, I think it failed, and it's not anything on Liz. I think she's a great player. She helped us win that World Cup, definitely. But you know, I think um, you know when you're a, you're a great player like that you're in a national program, you're just one of twelve. And you know, I think you know, I think you know, we a little bit too much entitlement, and that's you know, I, as I said, I can't do that. I would never go back to that anymore because you know, great players are great, but they're still just a, a part of the team, and you know, we have to. Make sure you're being a great teammate too and, and, and doing what you can to be committed and, and professional in the environment that you are in. It's interesting here you talk about, you know, before and the selflessness of the Opals back in the day and, and how that contributed to, to that success. And so is one person not above a team in that setup at all? Yeah, no, and you never, you never have, like, success will be not... Um, everlasting if you don't do it that way and and like I said I've learned some things along the way I think um, Liz is, a, is an amazing player and it, it, it all kind of worked out but I think the biggest thing and I'm not going to put all the blame on Liz that's for sure I take a lot of blame for myself but you know in our lack of preparation that's an uncontrollable but um, you know you need time to actually build it up and, and build that chemistry and we just never had time together that you could actually um, 
you know, shape the team and, and, and form the identity that you want to have. So, like I said, that's no fault on anyone's. Um, it was just, it is what it is with the, the schedules that we do have and the availability of players. So, um, you know, like I said, it's time to move forward and, and I, you know, I wish, I wish Liz the best. I think, you know, it's... It's just, you know, for us, it's like we're just focused on the players that we do have and we've got a great young, talented player. I'd like the, the public and the media to get to know the Ezzy McBeggles and, you know, the Kayla George and, you know, you met Matty Rochi and Sammy Whitcomb and, and all the wonderful players that we do have in the team at the moment and, you know, obviously and not focus on a player that we don't have, like, no longer have in our team. Is there a sense of when things like this happen and it's through the Opals, you know, really challenged your build-up. Does that somewhat, after this incident, and not necessarily going galvanising against Liz, but more about the situation in terms of the spotlight, always focusing on the Liz drama and, you know, in the lead-up for the World Cup, it'd be nice if you didn't have to answer questions about how you're coping post-Tokyo. It'd be really, really nice, but I guess we're still probably not not there yet. But, um does that somewhat, that focus on, on what happened and having a big event like that, an incident like that, does that somewhat galvanise the team now? Does that, can you use that, not to use it as motivation, that's probably the wrong way of explaining it, but, you know, does it galvanise your team to be like, right, we've got to rally here, we've got to get together, we've got to do this? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Look, it was, it was, you know, our lack of success in Tokyo hurt hurt us deeply, and it took a long time for us to get over that. So, you know, and we, you know, let the players. We had, we all had to go through our own kind of you know process to get there. You know, myself included. It was it was dark to be quite honest. Um, but I suppose the good thing for me, I, I went back to uh, the WNBA, and I could refocus on something else. Um, still got you know, we'd go back there because. You know, I, I'm not looking to blame anyone. I always blame myself because in the end I'm the leader and, you know, and so it's a chance for me to, can, you know, what do I need to get better? But being able to focus on the Phoenix Mercury and then obviously we had a really good run to finish and we still lost the, uh, the championship game. So you feel that pain as well, you know, just not getting, achieving the goals that you want. Um, so, you know, it was a t- 2021 was a tough year. I won't say anything different, but, you know, in the end I, I'm a, I think I said that I'm a positive person and I, I know I'm a good coach and, um, but, you know, things I know, like I, I, I reflect in and things, how can I be better? Because you've got to learn from those kind of experiences. And, you know, I think when we regrouped in February, it was important for me to put a staff around me that could certainly help rebuild that culture and, um, and, and it wasn't just me being the one that was doing the talking. So I have a culture coach now. I have a sports psych uh, performance uh, person. We have a you know wellness and engagement um, person with us, and that I can give them that space under my direction of like let's rebuild this culture and get that sisterhood back, um, you know, and and get our identity back to you know being what the you know the past has been and and and, and bringing that toughness back and and everyone having to have that commitment and doing yeah everything you can be to be the the best player that you can be, but in the in the right environment as, as, as teamwork and, and no one is, and is higher um, than each other. Like we're all, you know, once an opal, always an opal, but we have to abide by the culture that we have because if you can't uplive the culture, like you're not going to get picked. I just got to ask, why was it so dark? Um, do we not know the full story about what went on and the aftermath of that? I just, 
you know, we had Jenna Hay retiring after. She said she had to see a sports psychologist after the incident. It really, everything kind of came to her. You described that whole period as, as really dark and I get it, the results were disappointing, but is there a lot that we that we don't know or and will we ever know about what went on? Because we've seen footage of the game and I've seen footage of it and it looks um, like, I mean, you were there when Brittany Griner got in a big fight in the WNBA in that one where there was like almost almost fists. And I've seen Liz's elbow. This won't be popular, but I didn't find it that bad. But I know, you know, there's been talk about her saying to the Nigerian team, go back to your country and calling the monkeys. Um, but what about everything? And then Liz leaving, what was it that was so dark about that period? Look, I, I just, you know, I think... We want to represent the Opals in the right way. We want to we want to make everyone proud of us. And, you know, I suppose you feel like you've let them all down, to be quite honest. And I think that's the dark part about it. And you take out the Liz equation because we just, you know, we, we just, you know, couldn't get it done. And, um, and but when you take out your best player, it's like we, we have to play a different way with Liz. And really we just didn't have enough time to find the chemistry um, you know, playing a little bit different way. And and that's, you know, that's just came down with the lack of preparation and, and a, a really important player leaving so late. But that's, we've got to, you know, you learn from that. We have to, you know, we're usually a resilient bunch. And, I, you know, I suppose we, we didn't handle that well, but it, it come down for just a lack of, you know, COVID. We couldn't even have, you know, training camps in Australia because you couldn't even, you know, that a little, they had little groups. Um, you know, if I look back, we probably should have taken them overseas and, based over there but I'm not sure if they would have loved that either but you know just to get the preparation and and you know I, I suppose we it was just start because we you know we want to do well we want to do well for you know our country and you know you know we didn't play to as well as we wanted to and I mean that hurts and but it's not to say we could have still played well and not won a medal because it's really really hard to win a medal um and you know so that's our goal but um, it, we've got to stay motivated and focused on what we need to do. World Cup on home soil is obviously the next goal that you're really looking forward to. Um, I can't wait in Sydney as well. Um, what will it mean for you to be a part of this tournament and how is just this tournament in and on home soil part of the Opals healing at the moment? Oh, big time. It really is big time. I think we're in a good spot now and, and we want to get back and playing, you know, the way the Opals should play and, and having that time to, to build it up. And they had camp last week and it was, you know, I could, you know, um, call in, I could watch it on PlaySite Live and it was just fun. It was probably one of the best camps that we've had and, you know, it was really competitive, really physical, but you see the sisterhood and how we're pushing each other to be great and the way that we want to play. Um, together to give us that best chance of, of getting back on the podium. And But, look, having the ability to be back in Australia, it's more about uh, having another opportunity to, 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 you know, right the wrongs, to be quite honest, and, and, and do better and, um, and, and feel, know that we've done all the hard work and we're going to do it together and, um, you know, play in the right way. And, and hopefully that's good enough for us to have success in Sydney. But, you know, we... It, it, it major tournaments are fun and you don't get an opportunity to do it in front of your home family, uh, home fans and your family. So I think we're all excited about that as well. Can I just say the other thing that I'm just trying to like 
hold in my excitement when I talk about this with a lot of other sporting fans or just everyone in Australia. LJ's in the squad. LJ's in the squad. Lauren Jackson is in the squad. Um, we saw her, you know, come back after having the kids and start playing and everything. We're hoping, thinking this is going to be part of it. No, you don't want to give too much away. But how did it all come about that LJ's in the squad, that she's making her comeback? Um, did you send her an SOS or did she send you a bit of a, hmm, <laughs> I'm thinking about this? No, no, there was no SOS, but I'm super proud of Lauren because she took a big step. I mean, this was all her doing, wanting to, you know, wanting to play in front of her young family. And I think it's really neat. And um, I know she said, I'm going to start playing basketball. I said, oh, oh really? Or like, you know, she had a lot of big injuries too. And I just yeah. said, you know, okay, if you think your body can handle it, I mean, what you got nothing to lose, so go, yeah, good luck. And then I suppose it got to a stage where she was just playing really big, good basketball. And But, you know, to be included in the Opals is, you know, we have high levels that you have to meet to get there. And, you know, we gave her the criteria. If you, you want to be, in, in, you know, added to the squad, you have to be able to achieve all this. And it wasn't easy. And I didn't really, I, I never thought that she would get to where she she is now. And I think it blew us away, a lot of us. And she's still, it's stage one, but she's still a long way to go. Um, but she's put all the hard work in. And, you know, I mean, if anyone's tough, it's Lauren Jackson. She's, uh, um, you know, an ama- had an amazing career. And, um, you know, she's putting herself out there to see what she can do. And she's just putting herself out there. And I, and I just said, like, you know, obviously I'm going to have to pick the best team. It's eight ga- days, games in 10 days. That's a big workload. And, but, look, you know, we'll, we'll get you up. And she passed the criteria. She had a really, really great camp last um, week. And, you know, I think, um, you know, it helped the environment that we had. I mean, because, you know, I think everyone sees her, you know, she was such a tough and admired athlete and it kind of helped everyone grow in confidence. So, you know, that's step one. So we now we just got to keep, uh, you know, moving her forward. And just really it comes seeing how her, her body responds to the workload, Um you know, so it, only time will tell. But look, for the most part, I, I mean, right now, I'm just just really proud of the hard work that she put in and, and has gotten to where she is now. Because I, I had did not even think that would be possible, but she proved me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you didn't even think she'd get it this far. No, I mean, just because of her injuries and yeah. you know, being a little older, being able to, you know, and you know, it's she has to be able to play. Cons- trains consecutive days and be able to get through that at camp and she did that's that's not easy but and and at her you know NBL one that she's playing it's not the level of the opals obviously and so coming in and, and playing at really high level she um she did a good job so you know she knows she still has a lot of work to do but I think um she's in a good spot so she's just going to keep grinding and, and see where it leads her what would she bring to the team, though? That experience, that level head, that Everything. passion. Yeah, I, I think you've noted. Uh, I think number one, she just brings this uh, the the experience in the basketball IQ. Um, and even though, like you're watching her last week in camp, she didn't know she. We only make her go once a day, and the, the second one was a scrimmage against the guys. So she just looked at the play. She wasn't sure of all any of the sets or the systems we're running, but. 
it didn't matter. She got out. She got, as soon as she got out, she had seven points in her own. It's like, oh my gosh, because she hasn't lost that ability. She can shoot. She can bang. She's strong. She has that basketball IQ, and I think she gives confidence to the others. Yeah. Um, because this is a pretty amazing player out there, and um, you know, I think that's what she brings. She knows, she, you know, if if she is successful, she knows she's not a starter or anything. She could, you know, she could give you valuable minutes off the bench. But we're just going to have to, like I said, it's really it's a competitive environment. We're still in the selection process, and it's really, um, you know, how she goes in the next step, and you know, um, we'll see how she goes. So, um, who knows? Legend and to see like a legend and an icon of Australian sport playing would be awesome. And for those of us in our forties, um, I love the way she's just redefining age. I think it's fantastic. We're seeing a lot of that for female athletes, just going, "Hang on, you think I should quit now? I'm not. I'm going to keep going. I just absolutely, absolutely love it." Brittany, let's talk about Brittany, who's obviously been detained in Russia. At the moment, um, there's talk of her. It's on a drugs charge, very minute amount of substance found or traces of a substance. What was your reaction when you heard the news that she was being detained over there? Oh, totally shock, terrified. Just, just couldn't believe it. To be quite honest, and um, and now to for her to be still there so many days later. I mean, just it just breaks my heart because. You can't. Even, you don't. You can't. Even, you try and think what it's like over there. You just know it's. You know, it's not great. It's not great. And having, you know, co- having coached Brittany for such a long time, and and just this, you know, just missing her big smile and her big hugs, and you know, seeing her on a basketball court, and um, just breaks my heart that she's away from her. You know, her wife, her family, her friends, and um, and and that's why you know I think we're all trying to you know reach out. The only you know, it's a political porn. I mean, you talked about it. it's a very minute, very small trace um, in it, and it should have well, it should have been a fine. I've heard I, I heard I read an article the other day. That's what it should it be. So it really is. I mean, and I, I, they're talking about you know obviously a, a prisoner exchange, but the person that they want, I'm like, okay, well, you know, but you know, there has to come to that because we need to bring her home. She's been there long enough, and the only one that can do that is the president. So hopefully, uh, you know, uh, POTUS can you know, do everything that he can, that he can get her home sooner than later because she needs to be back home. And just, my heart just breaks to, you know, every day I, I, I think of her and just pray that she's, you know, hanging in there. Over there in America, what's the coverage been like of this? Has it been to what you would have expected for the seriousness of and, and the star that Brittany Griner is? And do you think enough's been done to facilitate her, her release? But also about the interest. Has it been enough in the media over there about this? No, no, I don't think so. Like obviously in the beginning we, we didn't want to talk about it. We thought that would be the, the, the wisest thing to do. But, you know, once the, the government came out and said that was, you know, she's being held unlawfully, I mean, that's, I think we just raised the awareness here. But, you know, I think if people talked about that was LeBron Jones or Steph Curry, you know, you know would they still be there? You know, and, and that's what we have to think about. It's like, you know, this is this Brittany Griner, she's pretty important for us too, and and so something needs to be done. Every any you know any citizen that's over there from another country, I mean they're all important, but you know it's more like are we doing enough to bring her home? Because it is, it's just you know it's just mind boggling to know that she's just has to be going through this now, and 
and you know hopefully that we can the media we can put more and more out you know I think it's gaining more interest now but you know we've got to just put a little bit more pressure on POTUS to hopefully be able to do something sooner than later. Do you think it should be the same when she gets out of Russia? I hope so but I mean I don't know I just I, I you know you know have known her for so long and um can anyone be the same after going through this I think it's just yeah, it's just, you know, it makes me emotional every time just talking about it because you just can't imagine anyone going through this, let alone someone that you hold so deeply and, you know, and, you know it's terrible. Um, I, I hope, you know, I hope so. I hope she's, but you just don't know until she's home. Mm. She's got a great support network around her and the WNBA, her wife as well, who's a lawyer. I found out as well, which so, um, yeah, I just have our fingers crossed and, and I think raising awareness of this helps put pressure on the government to, to do something about it as well. So fingers crossed with that one. Um, now, as part of this podcast, at every podcast, we, um, as part of the segment, we get someone close to the guest or someone who's been involved in, in our guest journey um, to record a secret message for you and you talked a lot about that opals culture and that golden era that you had and um actually got in touch with three-time olympian and your good friend rachel spawn um Uh, (laughs) she's my one of my favorites (laughs) she's awesome um bless you what your good mate and former opal rachel had to say hi sandy I was pretty chuffed to be asked by Sam to record a message for you as you are loved by so many. So this means a lot to me to have this opportunity. I have absolutely loved watching your journey in the basketball world. You have gone from being a young, shy, unassuming lass to this amazing, strong, resilient woman. You are an incredible role model for so many of us and in particular your gorgeous children, Brody and Jada. You have overcome so many challenges and just have the best attitude towards life. You've recognised when you've needed to take time out to heal and when you can jump right back in and keep powering on. I'm so excited about the World Cup, which is now only a couple of months away, and how awesome it is that you were a player at Osney 4. And fast forward to 2022, and here you are as head coach. I love the serendipity here. Sandy, I absolutely loved you as a teammate and continue to watch in awe as you lead the most elite of teams in the WNBA and our national team. I hope you sit back and reflect sometime, reflect sometimes on how bloody good you are at what you do and what pleases me the most is that you love what you do. And I have to take this opportunity to mention that it is great that you and Hendo took it so well when Cookie and I whipped your bottoms on the tennis court. Looking forward to the rematch. See you, beautiful. Love ya, Raish. That's cool. Thank you. How many years later after, I mean, once an opal, always an opal, I think that's, and that bond that you guys have from from your time together, I mean, that 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 doesn't stray. It doesn't strain at all, does it? No, no, it hasn't. That also give me a little few tears here, but um, you know, Rachel's one of my my you know bestest friends and someone I still you know it's, you know spend time every time I'm back home. I'm always visiting her, and we have such a great time. And, and and that's the sisterhood that I'm talking about. And you know, we you know she was a shy young country girl too as well. Uh, um, but you know, it's just how you come together and you connect. And and she was certainly one of the players that I connected to and. 
Um, we just enjoyed the journey that we were on and shared so many experiences, but, you know, both high and low. And she's always someone that I can count on, to be quite honest, and um, always has my back because, you know, in the world, especially, uh, you know, obviously when you get to the coaching world, there's a there's a, a lot of people that think they can uh, do, you know, I suppose they could do a little, things a little bit better than you. And um, But that's why I just, you know, I, I, I just focus on the players, uh, the people that mean the most to me, and then they're the ones that obviously I have the most respect and their voice matters the most. So I try not to worry about the other noise that's, that goes around. But Rachel Spawn, I mean, there's no one more special than her. She's an amazing woman. Pretty good at tennis too, apparently. Well, I'm not sure she's that good at tennis. It's just that Hendo, <laughs> I, Hendo and I weren't very good at tennis. <laughs> but we've had so, so many good times, you know, since we've retired and, you know, she's 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 amazing, and, and it's not you know, Rachel's one of many. We just like I said, that sisterhood, that bond that we have, and that's another thing I'm excited about. To, you know, to get the other uh, the Opals alumni back in at the World Cup. There's you know, we're going to have a function with all, all of us together, and I just think that's you know, some players we haven't seen for years, but it doesn't matter. It's just you, you just get back there and you just get connected again. And obviously, you know, and my role, who would have thought, you know. Uh, um, that I'd be the Opals coach, but, uh, you know, I loved every minute and uh, as being a player and, you know, obviously, um, and, and, and for the most part, enjoy being the Opals coach. So uh, <laughs> uh, it'll, it'll be even better if we have success. And, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be doing our best. <laughs> yeah, 100%. You've got all the right ingredients for that success. So um, onwards and upwards. And, you know, no matter what, I think we're all excited to see the Opals and um, and get to know the Opals more as well. So I just urge anyone in the media as well, we need to do our bit as well and, and raise the profiles of these in- incredible women. I've had two of them on Fox Sports already just the other week uh, talking about their training camp and everything. So I look forward to getting more on both our show and um, and on Fox Sports. For our final question, um, we finish off by asking every guest if they could go back to their younger self. If you could go back, I would say, to their 10-year-old self, the girl that's just started playing basketball last year who's in the backyard of her sugarcane farm with her mowed, ten- her mowed basketball court and, and backboard on the water tank, what would you go back and tell that little Sandy Brondello? Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great one because, I, I mean, you know, I've loved the journey that I, I'm on because even through the highs and lows, it shaped me to be who I am today. I, I suppose as a 10-year-old and don't, um, you know, don't let everyone, anyone bring you down and, and to always follow your dream and dare to dream because, you know, you're good enough. Um, you know, just make sure you have a... Uh, Enjoy the journey with the people that you're along, but continue to grow and um, and, and shoot for the stars. That's it. And and but stay positive and stay happy and and don't change ever change who you are. And I think that rings true for me today. And I don't think my friends would say I haven't really changed a lot, even though I'm coaching in one of the biggest cities in the world. And because uh, I haven't, you know, my. Um, I'm still the, the country kid at heart, to be quite honest, and, and that means a lot for me. I love what I do, but um, I still have the same values from as a kid, and I think that's important. But you know, you gotta you gotta follow your dreams and, and and keep working hard. And when you get knocked down, just keep getting back up. I love it. How is that sugarcane farmer's daughter enjoying her New York lifestyle? 
at the moment. <laughs> it's a long way from the outskirts of Mackay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do love it. I, I thought, you know, that's a, you know, Manhattan, I'm in Brooklyn, so it, it feels a little bit smaller than Manhattan, um, but really, really um, love it. It's just a great organisation and we've, we've battled through a lot of injuries, so hopefully we can get our full team together, but just a, a top class organization and really good people around me and, and I, like I just love the experience I'm just grateful to have an opportunity to continue to lead a team in the WNBA and um, make an impact on these you know young players lives and um, and you know 